Hey, it's Ronnie Davis, and you're listening to Being More, the place to be if you want to learn how to stop eating in ways that make you feel like crap, if you want to end the weight and food war, and start reimagining healthy eating and living. We'll show you how to change your mind, your food world, and your life with less doing and more being. you need to know before setting more weight loss resolutions. Secrets the health, fitness, and weight loss industries do not want you to know. Happy New Year and welcome or welcome back to Being More. As you may or may not already know, I'm a bit of a weight loss expert. And when I say a bit of one, I'm kind of being humble. I'm a weight loss pro with decades of combined experience personally and professionally. As an award-winning personal trainer and nutrition and wellness coach, I sold weight loss and body transformation for over eight years. I also dieted on and off for almost 30 years, and not only did I eventually lose weight, I ended up transforming my body so completely that I became a champion figure athlete. So, I know weight loss better than just about anyone from all conceivable angles. And in this episode, I'm sharing seven things you need to know before you set more weight loss goals or resolutions. Ready to dive in? Let's go. Number one. Despite all of their promises, there is not a single method of intentional weight loss that's any more effective than another long-term. And there are zero ways to lose weight that are actually effective long-term for the vast majority of people. In fact, it's more likely to have the opposite effect. About a century's worth of research has shown that up to 95% of people who lose weight will gain it all back within one to two years, and up to 66% of those people will be 11 pounds heavier than before they even started within two to five years. Weight loss is more likely to result in long-term weight gain than ever result in sustained weight loss. And those numbers that I just quoted you, those are the supposed success stories. Those are the ones that start a weight loss um, a weight loss plan and actually manage to lose weight, That's the, they're the supposed success stories. So again, intentional weight loss of any kind has actually been proven to be more likely to result in weight gain over time than sustained weight loss. And there are very real biological, physical, physiological, and emotional reasons for that none of which have anything to do with your willpower, discipline, motivation, drive, or anything else. Number two, the reason that almost no one is able to keep weight off or stay consistent has nothing to do with willpower, discipline, motivation, their ability to be successful, and everything to do with biology and psychology. That's why it is such a universal struggle. It is a fundamental problem within the system, not the individual, when you can't keep weight off. Number three, if your doctor tries to blame your weight for anything and suggests that you lose weight to fix it, ask him for two things. First, evidence of causation, not correlations or links between size and your condition but actual research proving causation, proving that your condition is actually caused by your weight and nothing else. 
Two, ask him for long-term diet studies, more than two to five years that is, long-term diet studies that show weight loss is actually effective or sustainable and that proves that it solves whatever problem you went to see him to fix. I guarantee that he cannot give you any of those things. Number four, weight loss is not the health intervention that you think it is for a few reasons. First, despite what the weight loss health and wellness industries want you to believe, you cannot control your health by controlling your weight or even food intake because too many other factors impact your health. Things like income and social status, your zip code, your genetics, stress, and your ability to manage it or lack thereof. Childhood experiences and access to quality health care all play a far greater role in your overall health outcomes than just about anything else. Second, if even if being at a, in a smaller body was absolutely necessary for your health, which I'm not saying it is, not even your doctor can prove that it is, but even if it was, intentional weight loss still wouldn't be a viable health intervention because again, research shows that people who engage in intentional weight loss efforts are more likely to gain weight over time than people who don't. So even if being in a bigger body did automatically cause poor health, intentional weight loss efforts would still be a terrible idea because they are one of the biggest contributing factors to future weight gain. And that brings me to, to a couple final points on this. Because often when people do lose weight, you know, a number of health markers may improve, which is one of the reasons I think that it gets associated with improving health, right? And if you're one of those people who saw improved health with weight loss, I know that you're probably still convinced that your health improved because you lost weight. But that's not true. While we can't entirely control our health through our choices, our bodies definitely do respond to the choices that we make for them. Typically, when people lose weight, they do so because they've temporarily changed the choices they were making for their bodies. So if or when some health markers begin to approve, it's not because their bodies are temporarily smaller, it's because they're temporarily making different choices for themselves. And lastly on this point, health is about far more than just blood pressure, blood pressure cholesterol, A1C, or whatever other numbers your doctor's trying to scare you with. Our mental and emotional health are just as important as the health of our bodies, of our physical health, and they have a huge impact on our physical health. Our mental and emotional health have huge impacts on our physical health. But we don't, what we don't talk about nearly enough is what weight loss does to our mental and emotional health. Sure, it feels amazing to see the scale go down, feel pants getting looser, or have people compliment us, but is that really a good thing? Is it really a good thing to have the way that we feel about ourselves be so tied to something as ever-changing as body size? Is that really a recipe for good mental or emotional health? And what's really happening behind the scenes when we're, um, you know, getting complimented on weight loss all the time? Tons of fear over putting the weight back on, right? Obsessing over food 
and the scale and trying to keep the weight off, suffocating shame when the scale does inevitably start to creep back up. Again, all these things create a ton of extra stress and are super destructive to mental and emotional health. And what you don't see behind all of those supposedly successful weight loss transformations is how much suffering is actually behind them, including the continued suffering caused by weight loss. Because the truth is, losing weight doesn't magically end your fight with your weight. All it does is start a new fight, the fight to try to keep it off. And that's a fight that I've seen cause eating disorders, depression, and anxiety in way too many people. Please don't risk your mental or emotional health in efforts for a smaller body. It is so, so not worth it. Despite what our culture wants you to believe, body size is not a measure of health, fitness level, or even worthiness. Point number five, despite what every diet or healthy eating plan would have you believe, restricting food or food groups in an effort to be healthier or smaller is not what healthy eating should ever look like. It's a waste of time and energy because you cannot stick to it anyway. It creates patterns of disordered eating. It destroys your relationship with food, with yourself and with your body. And it's one of the single biggest causes of overeating, binge eating and feeling out of control around the foods that you're trying to avoid. And by the way, eating in moderation that is purposefully trying to restrict certain foods most of the time and only allowing them sometimes is just as likely to result in overeating, binge eating, or feeling out of control around food as strict dieting is because it's all restricting intake. Anytime you restrict your intake in any way like that, you are setting yourself up for those patterns with food. Eating as much as you want, whenever you want, of whatever you want, truly is the healthiest way to eat. Now, before you think this woman's nuts and shut this episode off right now, hear me out on this. We know that just because somebody tells us a particular food or food group is bad and we shouldn't eat it, that we, or that we should only eat it in moderation, we know that that doesn't make us automatically be able to stop eating it, right? In fact, any kind of food restriction actually causes those food obsessions, overeating, binge eating, disordered eating, even eat, eating disorders. So we know that restricting bad food has been the number one piece of healthy eating advice for generations. And we know that trying to restrict the bad foods, as everybody's been telling us we're supposed to do, is not working. We know that trying to force ourselves to not eat the things we think we shouldn't be eating is having the opposite effect. It makes us crave them more. So we have to do the opposite. Think about this. This is a little thought experiment I want you to try with me. Think about your most favorite food in the world. The food that you are the most scared to be around because you're convinced that you can't control yourself around it. Now, think about all of those promises that you keep making to yourself that you're either never going to eat it again or you're only going to eat it in moderation. Notice how it feels to think about restricting your access to that food. What does that feel like? Deprivation, fear, regret, sadness, anger even sometimes. Does it even make you kind of start wanting some of it? right now? 
you know, do you start sort of having some thoughts like, oh, I should get some and I'll, I'll be good tomorrow? Right? That's what happens. Now, I want you to do the opposite. Think about the same food, the exact same food, and imagine having it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner all day, every day. Like eating your body weight in it as much as you want. Like just, it's all you eat all day long. Just massive amounts of this particular food all day, every day. It's all you're eating. Imagine that. Okay. <laughs> what does that feel like? I'm willing to bet as soon as you started thinking that, you instantly kind of went, ugh, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. And to that I say, exactly. When allowed, when the rules are gone, and you're allowed to eat as much of it as you want, you genuinely don't want to eat it in those ways. Nobody does. The only reason intelligent, capable adults get stuck feeling like they can't stop eating things that make them feel like crap is because of their conditioning. And one of the biggest things that creates the conditioning behind those patterns is restricting, quote, bad foods. So it is super important to always just truly and completely eat whatever you want. But remember that while you can eat whatever you want, you cannot escape the consequences of the choices you make. So always simply pause to consider, what do I want? Why do I want it? How am I gonna feel if I eat it, right? Eating what we want whenever we want is the healthiest way to eat, but we have to do so strategically, right? We have to do so with purpose, with intention, with connection, with curiosity, right? Why do I wanna eat that thing? How am I gonna feel if I have it? Do I wanna feel that way? Is there something else that I really feel like having that would help me feel the way I wanna feel without making me feel like crap, right? If you hear yourself saying, I don't care, in answer to some of the, you know, how is it gonna make me feel questions, that's not a sign that this won't work for you. It's merely a sign that some healing of your relationship with yourself and your body probably and some pattern shifting is necessary. Now, I've talked about this a ton before, so I'm not gonna keep harping on it now. Scroll through other podcast episodes or visit my website at www.ecet.online for some other helpful resources, free resources, uh, where I talk more about it, including more about how to implement using this style of you know, presence, connection, curiosity, intention with regard to your food choices, if you're interested. Number six. Weight loss goals are the worst reason in the world to start exercising. Exercise shouldn't be punishment that you have to endure because you've committed the, the horrific sin of gaining weight or, be or if you're not living in a perfect body. In fact, even before considering your next exercise program, evaluate your relationship with not only your body but exercise. If you don't heal those things, those relationships before beginning another exercise attempt, you're almost certainly setting yourself up for another failed attempt. And finally, number seven, lifestyle changes are one of the biggest lies we have ever been sold and they are not typically any more effective than diets. If you're not already consistently making choices that support your health and well-being, it's not your lifestyle that you need to change. 
Our lifestyles are merely the result of our day-to-day -day choices, and our day-to-day -day choices are the result of the things going on in us. Our thoughts, our emotions, our beliefs, beliefs about ourselves, about our bodies, about life in general, and they're the result of our hardwired patterns of behavior. Those are the things that you need to change because those are the things that actually drive the choices you're making. When you change those things, the choices that you make as a byproduct and as a byproduct rather, your lifestyle automatically changes all on its own. Now, just a reminder that I say all of those things as a weight loss expert and somebody who seemingly experienced her own epically successful long-term weight loss transformation. Now, why do I say it was seemingly successful? Because as it does for so many other people, in fact, most other people, my seemingly successful weight loss uh, transformation ended up causing more suffering than it did health, happiness, or peace. I lived with constant possession over whether or not I had gotten smaller, small enough or lean enough. I lived in constant fear and guilt over everything I put in my mouth. I ended up being diagnosed with bulimia, chronic clinical depression, anxiety, and panic disorders. And I didn't even really keep the weight off because every single fall and winter for the entire 10 years that I was seemingly keeping the weight off, I would actually put on at least 10 to 15 pounds. Some years it was 20 or more. So by spring, if I wanted to keep up the appearance of having a perfect body, I had to diet the winter weight back off again, which means that rather than actually keeping the weight off, I basically gained and lost probably 200 pounds or more in those 10 years. I didn't stop gaining weight every winter until I finally stopped dieting and focusing on my weight and my food intake. And as I always say, my experience is pretty much the norm. The vast majority of people who do seemingly keep the weight off don't actually keep it off. They just keep gaining and losing the same few pounds forever. As someone who did that for a decade, I can tell you it is no way to live, nor is it healthy. So technically, I'm actually an anti-weight loss, weight loss expert, because I know too much about weight loss to be any other way. Do me a favor for a second. We're going to try a little, another little thought experiment here. Put the weight loss obsession aside for a moment and consider, what is it that I really want that I think losing weight is going to give me? I don't know about you, but I wanted to feel good. I wanted to feel good about myself and about my body, and I wanted to feel good in my body. I wanted to live in a body that just felt good. I wanted to know I was treating myself well, and I just wanted to be at peace. So take a moment and think about what it is you really actually want that you think losing weight is going to help, help give you. Now that we've established what it is that you really want, ask yourself, what is it that's keeping me from already experiencing that in my life, right? In my case, and I'd be willing to bet yours as well, I blamed my body size for everything that was wrong in my life, including the fact that I felt like crap and I hated the reflection staring back at me every day. But when I actually evaluated why that was my reality, body size had nothing to do with it. In fact, the state of my body wasn't the problem, it was the symptom. It was the symptom of the fact that I didn't value it enough to treat myself well, a symptom of the fact 
that I was stuck in patterns with food that were not only unhealthy, but contributing to weight gain, patterns that were at least in part caused by all of the weight loss attempts that I had made, and also patterns like stress, mindless, emotional, and even binge eating. It was also a symptom of the fact that I live in an incredibly, uh, you know, anti-fat, fat-phobic society. And I had internalized all of the messages that we get about what it means to be fat. So as soon as I would gain weight, I would hate myself and think that I was worthless. And it was also a symptom of the fact that I had an internal dialogue that was mean, judgmental, and constantly obsessing over what people thought of me or my body size, which kept me stuck obsessing over trying to control my food intake and body size in ways that were actually contributing to the weight gain, fear, internal war, and shame that were all ever present and destroying not only my physical health, but my mental and emotional health. The truth is neither health nor self-worth can ever be determined or defined by how many goals you reach or don't or what size your body is. And health cannot even be entirely controlled by those things or the choices that you make. But even to the extent with which you can influence it, your health does not care about your goals. Your body doesn't care about your goals. They don't even know about your goals. It only cares what it needs right now in this moment and whether you're making choices that help support it or not. If you're trying to make yourself be consistent on some plan that's supposed to help you reach some goal at a later date, you are by definition disconnected from your body and what it's trying to tell you it actually needs right now. And that's a recipe for not making healthy choices. You're running your own agenda, probably more often than not, ignoring what your body is trying to tell you it actually needs rather than connecting with and supporting it just because at some later date you want it to be smaller, right? It may produce behaviors that appear healthy, sure, but not consistently and it's not honoring what you actually need. It's all external rules built upon fear because fear sells. Fear of weight gain and the judgment or poor health that doesn't even actually come from it. Fear of being unhealthy or not living healthy and the judgment that comes from that. Fear of never being happy or confident if you don't control your body size. Start paying attention to the messaging you notice every day around health and healthy eating. You'll really begin to notice how fear-based it is. It's all designed to trigger fear, as though if we're sufficiently scared of eating the wrong things, we'll make the right choices. Or if we're sufficiently scared of being the wrong size, we'll ma magically somehow shrink. But the opposite is true. Living in a chronic state of fear, like we typically do when we spend our lives dieting or trying to eat healthier, has a whole host of really negative side effects in and of itself. Second, making choices from a place of fear is almost never healthy or positive. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but fear shuts down the decision-making part of our brains and it turns on the habit center. It also shuts down or slows down a bunch of other function in our bodies like proper digestion, for example, but let's just stick with the brain for now. When fear is triggered, we disconnect from our bodies and the decision-making part of our brains basically shuts down the habit center takes over and starts frantically searching for a solution. So you know that, you know, obsessive and spiraling um, 
the thing your thoughts will do over food. You know, I, I want it, but I don't want it. I should have this, but I really want that. I, should I have it? Am I going to have it? Am I not going to have it? That's what I mean. You have no idea what's happening in your body when you're in that vortex of food obsessive thoughts. Or you have no idea what your body actually needs or wants when you're in that state either because your brain survival center is just running these thoughts on overdrive, looking for a solution to whatever just triggered the fear. And when you've been dieting or trying to eat healthy for any length of time, the simple act of putting on pants that are snug or trying to make a decision about what you want to eat can trigger fear. So you can stay stuck in all that fear, disconnection, and feeling controlled by food, or you can do something differently to change everything. Given that health is never 100% with our control, trying to control it is not only an exercise in futility, but it's often the cause of a lot of suffering in a number of different ways. As I've already talked about a little bit, but more on that is for another day. Trying to control body size or food choices to get or stay healthy, healthy typically involves forcing ourselves to eat and do what we think we're supposed to be eating or doing in order to create or prevent this future outcome. As I said, it disconnects us from our bodies and the moment and our experience in it. It robs us the ability to be fully present with ourselves enough to know what we actually need and want. So the focus shouldn't be on trying to control body size or even trying to control your health. Rather, it should just simply be on supporting our well-being. When we do that, health, to the extent with which we can influence it, will naturally follow. So how do we support our well-being? As I've already mentioned, we have to first consider what our barriers are, right? What keeps us stuck in these patterns that don't support our well-being? And this is vital because our inner world dictates our lives almost completely subconsciously. And this makes changing anything in any way that'll last long-term impossible without awareness and effort. So what do I mean by our inner world? Well, our thoughts, beliefs, feelings, emotions, patterns of behavior. A big part of this includes how we feel about ourselves and our bodies, how much or, little, or how little we value ourselves and our bodies, because we treat ourselves and our bodies the way we believe we deserve to be treated. Now, let's bring this together because I want to talk about wholehearted being again. If we want to be healthier, we have to stop controlling our health or trying to control our health by obsessing over externals and instead focus on well-being, turning inwards and focusing on our inner world, right? This helps us become aware of and change any unhealthy patterns that we're stuck in, but it also connects us to ourselves to our bodies and our actual moment-to-moment -moment needs so that we can honor them. Not just physical needs, but mental and emotional needs as well, because those are equally important, right? And so this is what I teach with uh, ECET and wholehearted being. To be wholehearted is to live from a foundation grounded firmly in self-love and our own worthiness. This ensures believing that we are deserving of goodness, including well-being, so that we are naturally inclined to want to treat ourselves and our bodies as well as we can. And also, in addition to that, being present, connected, curious, and intentional. Being present in this moment and our bodies, 
so that rather being stuck in all the fear, stories, unhealthy behaviors, attempts to control the future state of our bodies, and the should-bes that are going on in our head, rather than all of that, we are fully present in the now. And we are being connected to ourselves and our bodies and our inner world. Connected to and living in our bodies allows us to know and trust exactly what we need and what our bodies need when we need it. Being curious about our inner world, our thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations, communication from our bodies. This allows us to be aware of, question and change old thoughts and beliefs and patterns that aren't serving us. And finally, being intentional about our choices. Intentionally choosing for ourselves from a place of love, trust, compassion, and kindness. Because choices made from those places are the healthiest choices we'll ever make. See, health isn't an achievement or life level we can magically unlock if we manage to force our bodies to be smaller for a while. Nor are health and body size things that we can ever entirely control. But to the extent with which we can influence our health through our choices, healthy choices are the natural outcome when we learn to support our well-being through wholehearted being. And we cannot do that when we are stuck obsessing over trying to shrink our bodies. Because here's the thing, all that really matters is what it feels like to live in our bodies right now in this moment and how we feel about ourselves and our bodies and how we speak to and treat ourselves and our bodies. You've been listening to Being More with Ronnie Davis. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about embodied cognitive eating training and access free resources, visit www.ecet.online.